this meeting right, is so, being recorded. Uh, this morning, I'm going to actually put you guys to work. Uh, it's about time, right? Uh, evidently, a handful of folks got the memo and just decided to take the day off. So, um, so what I want to do this morning is some of the things uh, I've been thinking about for me that I want to work on. Um, and part of this goes back to some of the conversations we've had over the last couple of weeks about uh, the, the Greek word soterios and how that word can be uh, translated. We often translate as salvation, uh, but it's just as appropriate to translate it as safe um, and how bringing salvation, being about salvation, working out salvation is about creating spaces of safety. And uh, and then just hearing, having some of the conversations I had after that, and then last week we talked uh, about what is the idea of hell, uh, and we might have even put a slight positive spin on the concept. Uh, and uh, but that's got me thinking about many of us carry these uh, heavy, heavy rocks, if you will, in our in our religious or Christian backpack. Um, and I just wanted to see if today we could spend some time, uh, maybe sharing some of these, uh, these rocks and in some way we might be able to alleviate some of the weight that some of us carry, um, and maybe even use it to cultivate some future conversations that we have. So if you don't mind, I'm going to put you to work a little bit this morning. So I want, I want to ask, first of all, um, what are some of the cliche Christian ease, Christianese that you've heard um, that has been harmful to you particularly? I think that I, I don't think that you put baggage into that. I think others do, right? Um, so that idea that depression um, is in some way a result of either not praying enough, uh, not having enough faith, or if you place your joy in the Lord, uh, you know that's all you need to do, type thing. Um, so yeah, I'd say depression. Yeah, wait. So Franklin says in regards to Christians being we're just speaking the truth in love. Ah, uh, yes, speaking the truth in love, uh, which is code for being an asshole. And Katie says, love the sinner, hate the sin, the classic. Yes, love the sinner, hate the sin. Yes, yes, love the sinner, hate the sin is, is a big one, yes. All right, uh, we're going to go into some of these and we're going to talk about them, but I just want to see how many cliches we can come up with. It's cliche, Christian cliche, bingo. Yes. I would say it probably ties into the, to the depression one, but like uh, miraculous healing. Mm. Um, so I come from a very, like, you know, my parents go to these big healing conferences. My dad is actually a PMT. 
Benny Hinn, is that the farting pastor? Yeah, no, it's it. Um, so like there's just this whole mentality and, and, and I get, I still, I still struggle with that because you know, like every now and then I'm like, I would, I would be a miracle. Like, right. Like, you know, that's right. Yeah. Um, and this whole idea of like, you know, if you, you don't have enough faith, if you believe hard enough and all that stuff. Um, and then I was going to say too, like related to that, like I have this whole, um, like, uh, I'm, I don't receive healing or I don't receive something because I don't tithe regularly. Mm. Oh, yeah. like, like that, that can't heal me because I'm not honoring. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tithing gets mixed in with a lot of this stuff, right? Anybody else? Mitch? I think one thing related to that kind of name and Okay. Yeah. Name it and claim it. Yeah. Yeah. And one kind of, I mean, I don't know if it's just but it's like the uh, the Roman road is the pressure that's put on Christians to go out and share the gospel with other people. Right, like the destination of other people uh, is dependent upon your willingness to evangelize. Yeah, Tiana. Um, the like the phrase or many phrases that it's all about like how to get your heart right or what's in your heart where you're frustrated, how do you find the right place or yeah. Yeah, your heart's not in the right place. And it's like, yep, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure it's in the right spot. Yeah, Lee. I, I love that one. You should give until it hurts. And then next breath is God loves a joyful giver. So that person is just going flat ass broke because they're going to have to give and give and give and they're still joyful. So they're going to have to give it all away. Yes. Um, Franklin says, I really relate to what Sarah said about miracles. Yeah. So many people pray for a miracle in regards to sexuality. When I never made it, I felt like something was too broken for me to do this. Yeah. The pray away the gay um, is another cliche. It's usually in the <laughs> Ouch, yeah, you're right. It does, yep. Yep. Anybody else? What about like this one? Uh when spiritual gifting, so use it or lose it. Right? Have you heard that one? Like use your spiritual gifts or you're gonna lose it. Yes, because if your spiritual gift is communicating, you all of a sudden will become a mute if you don't use that spiritual gift. Right? Um Tana lately singing in the shower it's been absolutely horrible because she doesn't sing enough at church it's been like <laughs> terrible um i thought of another one uh in the midst of this um did you have someone oh okay just you and franklin having a conversation of course of course yeah um uh, franklin and wage sidebars they're really entertaining All right, so if you want to get it up it's just <laughs> oh great no one's gonna listen to anything um so so let's talk about a couple of these and i want to leave room that if other if other things come to mind to bring them up right um but i think it's really important because first of all why do you think we 
we go to cliches? Why do you think, and I'm not just talking about religious, but just cliches in general. What do you think is the, the reasoning behind that? Mm. Like I, yeah, they're in a better place. Right, right. That was actually, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Platitudes? Yeah. Yeah, and it was platitudes. But then when I try to get beyond them, I'm like, I don't know. You're like, hey. Yeah. I feel like we've always had to have something to say, right? We're always worried about saying like, the right thing. Oh, that's another one. God has something better yeah. for you. Yeah, I agree. The irony is, is that when you're uncomfortable and so you say a cliche, what you're doing is shifting the uncomfortableness to the other person in a lot of instances, right? You're just, um, you're just shifting it to someone else. I think a lot of it too uh, is just passing on kind of received wisdom in the smallest possible nugget. You know, yeah. So it's kind of like, well, I don't know what to say, so I'm going to fall back on what I've been told. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the only reason you remember what you've been told is because it was told to you in like a six word phrase rather mm. than like, you know, you never say, oh, I read a really good 600 page book about this in chapter four. Yeah. Let me just tell you about uh, Dostoevsky. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> how often people talk, <laughs> see how often people talk to me. Lee? Yeah.
into that kind of juxtaposition of Christianity and church. Interesting. Mitch and then Chris. No, I think uh, in a lot of ways people are just control freaks. We want control over a situation we have no, really no control over. And uh, people in general are really uncomfortable if we don't have the answer. We just don't like to mess with people. Yeah. Yeah, that being stuck in a place of gray or unknowing is, is tough. Chris? So I think there's a little bit. Uh, a lot of the cliches we're saying about it, people trying to show their Christian maturity mm. right, to some degree. That's interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think, yeah, that in some ways, uh, when we say those types of cliches, it's almost to kind of say, you know, I, I'm mature. I used to get this a lot in the church, and I don't think that this is a strictly church thing, but, uh, but they would turn into a churchy thing. They would say, because I'm an introvert, right? And so people would say to me, um, well, as you mature in your faith, you'll become an extrovert. <laughs> they wouldn't actually say extrovert, though. They're like, as you mature in your faith, you'll be more comfortable interacting with people. That's why all those hermits. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, those monks, boy, though, when after their vow of silence is over, you can't shut them up. Right? Um, another one in the, that I often hear in the church is God doesn't give you anything that you can't handle. God will never give you more than you can handle, right? And as soon as someone says that to me, I immediately think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's so distressed that he's sweating blood. And I'm like, that sounds like more than Jesus can handle. Like, it just sounds like, I mean, Jesus is like, can, you, can we not do this? Like, take this away from me? It sounds like it might be a little more than even Jesus could handle in that situation. Um, so I'm thinking that if you ask a martyred uh, Christian or just anybody in of the faith, any faith that's martyred, that that might be a little more than they were able to handle, right? So, all right. Anything else? Any thoughts? All right. So let's. Uh, I don't know how we're going to do this. Uh, I didn't think this part through. Um, which one do you want to address first? Tithing. Okay. Is everyone okay with us doing tithing? Um, nothing like, uh, Katie, this is, I think is your first time here and we're going to talk about tithing. It seems appropriate. Um, yes. Well, Mitch is an elder, so of course he wants to talk about tithing. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's true. You need to give more. So, so, so let me say this. Uh, first and foremost, this will be uh, antithetical to the way that you would probably hear tithing talked about in most churches. Um, I, I would like to imagine it wouldn't be, but unfortunately it probably is going to be different. 
So first of all, let's understand tithing. Tithing is a, a misunderstanding within Christendom, right? Because there were some years that a Jewish person would have actually been contributing up to 40 to 60% of their income. Now you have to remember that income was, was probably very little like money. It would have been more so crops or textiles or stuff that they produced. Um, and so they would have been giving anywhere from 40 to 60% of that some years, depending on the year, depending on when Jubilee was, depending on whether this was a Sabbath year. All of these things play into this. A tithe just means 10%, right? And so a general tithe would have been that they would have given 10% of all of their crops or produce to the church. Uh, but it wouldn't have been the church, it would have been the temple. Right. So the first thing you should say to anyone that talks about tithing is you say, OK, point me in the direction of the temple, uh, because that's where the tithing took place. Uh, the tithes were used to feed uh, the priests and to take care of the impoverished who did not have access to food. And so there was a fund within the uh, temple. And this would have been like green. This would have been uh, different animals and meat. Uh, and if you read through a lot of like the Levitical code, most of these festivals where you brought an offering, you actually then ate the food that you offered or the priests ate the food that was offered. Uh, in fact, the Bible talks about this idea that the idea that God would need to eat and that we would be good enough cooks for him or for God is absurd, right? Um, Although I heard Gordon Ramsay uh, does a pretty good job, but he's now in Hell's Kitchen, so it's different. He's cooking for someone else. Okay, bad joke, sorry, we're moving on. So, so tithing in and of itself is not actually mentioned in the New Testament at all. So let's begin with that. Uh, if you come from a background or a tradition uh, or hold to this view that the Hebrew Bible has been replaced or is no longer valid, which is not what I teach here. Um, but if you come from that place, well, then you automatically are eliminated from tithing uh, because the New Testament doesn't mention it. The New Testament also doesn't mention domesticated uh, cats. So if you have a cat, you need to get rid of it. Um, it does mention a dog and scraps falling from a table and the dog eating the scraps from the kids. So. So June, June is going to survive this sermon. Um, so, so first of all, tithing isn't something that we find as a command in the New Testament. Um, that I don't think is nearly as important because for me, tithing is talked about throughout the Bible. But the heart of tithing was that you gave to something because you understood the value of it. You understood the heart of it. You understood what it meant to the community. You understood and trusted that the, the money that was given was going to be used in a manner that was going to be a blessing to others, right? Um, and that's really key because what we've turned tithing into is a, a transaction. That tithing is just a transaction. You write a check, you give it to the church, and then, uh, you somehow have enacted uh, God to show favor upon you. And really what tithing was for Israel was, it was the people enacting favor on others, not trying to get God's favor, 
right? The idea of tithing was more so that you believed in what uh, the people of God together could do to better the community, right? That's also why you left the corners of your field. That's why you took care of the widow and the poor. And that's why if you saw someone naked, you clothe them. Why if you saw someone hungry, you'd feed them. If you saw someone thirsty, you'd give them something to drink because you imagine that the resources, whether it's attention, presence, time, tithe, uh, food, whatever it might be, was going to, if you used it in the right manner, you were going to change the world. That the world would be better with that. It wasn't that, uh, that God would treat you better, it's that the world would improve. Now I'd say most people, and maybe even people here don't believe that giving to the church is what will improve the world. I think you're right. I'd like to imagine we're going to try and do something different in this space, but giving to the church, there's so many better organizations to give to than the church. All the elders are really uncomfortable right now trying to figure out how to pay me next week. Um, but the truth is, is that what we need to do is we need to, as the faithful, we need to look at and say, what is the value of this community? Do I put a value on it? And if I do put a value in it, on it, how do I contribute to that community in such a way that the community can have a larger impact, right? That's, that's what giving is about, right? This is why Jesus, when he sees the poor uh, widow giving a penny, just so you know, pennies weren't, it's, it's anachronistic. It wasn't a penny. It was Canadian. We all know it. Um, and gives a penny and you have the uh, ruler, you have the wealthy person giving a large sum, right? And Jesus looks at that and says, it was greater what she did because she valued the community. So think about this. If she's broke and that's her last penny, that is her additional penny. Even though she gave a penny, it shows that her valuation compared to her was greater than the wealthy person that dumped a whole bunch of money in there. You know, when we talk about uh, wealthy people, uh, like the, the 1% of 1% even, right, that they give millions of dollars, I bet you that there are those of you sitting here or listening online that give at the same percentage that they do. And we look at the we look at the the line of zeros, the number of zeros to determine how much someone gives instead of how we value stuff, right? So I think about for me, what are the things I value? And maybe that's what we can talk about, right? Maybe we can take a moment and talk about this. Like where do you invest money? And I'm not talking about invest because of a percentage return like you invest in stocks. But what are the things that you invest in? I'll give you an example. I invest in books and board games a lot, right? Anyone that's been to my home knows the board games particularly. And, uh, but I invest in books and board games. Now, I have to do evaluation every time I buy a board game. It goes something like this. Will anyone else want to play this with me? The answer is no. Does it have solo mode? If it does, 
then I might still buy it, right? Uh, if it doesn't, and no one else is going to play this game with me, I'm not going to invest the money in it, right? Um, because what's the use of it, right? So what about you guys? What are some of the things that you invest in? And how do you value, how do you evaluate its worth? So Katie says, uh, my husband uh, invests a lot in Starbucks. <laughs> I like you, Katie. You're pretty great. <laughs> and uh, Christy brought up uh, Mary Kondo. It doesn't spark joy in terms of where she invests. You know, I have something to say about the Mary Kondo show. It doesn't spark joy, so I've cut it out of my Netflix list. I only have I only have 25 shows in my Netflix list, and she did not make it because she does not bring me joy. Franklin invests in Magic the Gathering clothes. Just a question about Yep. Okay. Yeah. Let's come back to that then. All right. Anybody else? What else do people invest in? Yes. Beer. Beer. Brewing. <laughs> yeah. Home brewing. Yeah. Yeah. What else? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mitch, I brought my home roasted coffee. You're supposed to have 10% of that. Hey, Mitch. <laughs> Mitch. Mitch, let me help you put the me in mead. <laughs> I clearly do not invest enough in this group. I know it's wine, blah, 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 blah. All right, anybody else? What else do you invest in? Sewing machines, yeah. What so, else? So, uh, I just recently got into home roasting my own coffee and then uh, cooking for my troops. Yeah, good. Anybody else? Craig says sports teams. Sports teams? I think for me, uh, it seems like I, uh, I eat out a lot. Okay. Yeah. I remember in, uh, in college, in grad school actually, when I basically decided that, uh, like, I went raised very, very frugally and, you know, really watched why I spent money. And, uh, and that's. I was taught to close my eyes when I spent money, so I never. Have anything to share? Yeah, Mitch. I invested in boots. Boots or booze? Both. Okay. <laughs> I was like, this is getting redundant, Mitch. We already know. <laughs> Let me tell you about a meeting right next door. Uh, it will be, don't worry. We're talking about tithing. We're going to get to shame. Anybody else? Food, like bread flour, 
Yeah. All right, so let me ask you this question. Um, evidently, the church needs to invest in better boiler or something. Awesome. Thank you, Mitch. You're like uh, Tim Allen, but different. All right. Um, so let me ask you, what if, would you say that you invest in the church? And I'm not necessarily saying dust because maybe you're still new here or you're getting acquainted here so you haven't had the opportunity to even think about that piece yet. But do you invest in your faith community? And if so, do you have something? Like, do you mean money or Yeah. Like, yeah, because I think there's lots of people, like I know that you invest in uh, the young women uh, in young lives, right? And I would argue you probably invest in them more than you are compensated for. Um, and more than the, the frustration of it, that, right? Um, so it's not just money, right? So do you invest in the church? And if so, why? And if not, why? And listen, this is going to be key to this conversation. Those of you that don't know me, this is more complicated. Those of you that know me know that this is not to meant to carry guilt and shame. This is for us to have an honest conversation about why don't we anymore see the church as worth investing in? Or why should we see the church as something to invest in? Right? And it has little to do with me. You're not going to offend me uh, because I think we all have lots of reasons to no longer invest in the church. I would love for our community to get to, get to the point where we go, this is a healthy and good place to invest. But it has to be uh, that place of health, right? Not guilt and shame. Tiana, do you have something? Yeah, I think it's Yeah. Sure. That's why we don't have music anymore. You, you you critiqued it so much that we just we fired them. Look at them. They're not even here anymore. I feel like, and, I, and so I'm like, this, this church or 
church in general, I'm like, this is just not working. I would rather yeah. take my finances and do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, so what I'm hearing you say is almost like when people buy a home that becomes a money pit or a car that becomes a money pit or something like that, that it's like at some point you're like, it's just not working. I don't want to continue to put money into this because it's not doing what it's supposed to do or what it could do. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, so Katie says, I totally hear and agree with Tiana. I think I much more has the time and energy and money into the church. Specifically as a woman, as I feel I've been taking advantage of a lot. Uh, I.e., you can only help with babies when my gift is teaching leadership. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that the church has unfortunately demonstrated a valuation of a very narrow group of people, right? And so uh, there are those people. I mean, raise your hand if you've ever felt this way. And I'm imagining for the most part, we'll get a large participation. If you ever felt that the, the value you brought to the church was either A, filling a seat, or B, filling an offering plate, or C, filling a volunteer slot, but not actually being a voice that is heard and uh, elevated and cared about. So raise your hand online, offline, whatever, right? Yeah, right? Like the church is excellent at this, right? Um, and I think that it's, uh, it's a real danger that we have because we should be instead uh, proud to have a, uh, an eclectic voice from the front an eclectic voice from within. Um, and we should be trying to do everything we can to get as many voices around the table um, that represent as many different intersectionalities as possible. So we can actually be healthy, right? Like, uh, yeah, so I'm with you, Katie. Anybody else? Investing in the church, yes. One thing that's interesting to me is I felt like in a previous congregation, a lot of my investment in the church was emotional labor of being um, uh, the, uh, you know, I don't want to say the token, but mm. of being the one queer person who had done the work um, for the rest of the congregation, um, you know, so. Um, you know, so you know, even a pastor would rely upon me, you know, if someone came out or had a family member come out, then it was, uh, you know, oh, well, you should talk to Wade. Because um, Wade's already done all of that work. Right. Um, and I don't want to do all of that work. And then you won't have to do all of that work. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I think with that comes a lot of labor of, you know, making uh, making the rest of your life perfect as well. Mm. You don't want to be a disappointment. In, well, right, you don't want to, you know, if, if you're the only guy, you yeah, if you're the only representation, yes, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's interesting moving to a 
where um, I am not, you know, the only Alpha person there. I would say I was the only person in my previous church that was queer, but I was really the only one that was out. Sure. And so, um, you know, having that kind of labor taken away, or that's interesting, um, or if not taken away, at least appreciated. Like, yeah. You know, you know, people that could say. Um, I'm coming to you because I know you've done a lot of this work and I want you to help me do my work. Yeah. I, I'm just going to look over and shoot off of your exam here. Interesting. Yeah. That's, yeah, I hadn't considered that uh, because I'm not the only representative of me. Uh, maybe of goatees. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a, I mean, that in and of itself is a huge investment, right? Like that's, and that's like a un, that's like an expected investment, right? That gets put upon you. Um, and, and that's really sad. And I think we do that in all kinds of social structures, right? That we, we require of people a pound of flesh in certain settings that uh, is unfair of us to ask of people to do. Um, and I, I'd say the church has really honed its skills at doing that, whether you're an artist or a musician or whatever, right? Like, you know, I, I, I'm sure it's come to notice that we don't always have music. And part of that is that I refuse to make anyone who is a musician or capable of singing to feel like it's in some way then an obligation for them to do that at church. It's so unhealthy, it's so dangerous, and it ends up uh, crushing the souls of people. And so we're only going to have music when someone feels that it's gonna give them life and us life for them to do it, right? And I think that that's, that's really important for us. And there's so many other areas that that happens as well, right? Within the church where it's just, there's an expectation for you to do something because you have a skill at it. Like if you're a woman, you clearly have the skill of making the food and taking care of the kids, right, Katie? I'm joking, Katie, uh, in case you don't know me very well. <laughs> um, but, but we do that, right? Like we do that all the time. Right. Um, but that's that's one of the things we do. We impose investment on others, right? Um, so yes, Chris. This is such a great discussion and it's talking about it's for probably fifteen years I was pigeonholed and in multiple churches though this is what Chris always does. Yeah. And uh, what Chris wants to maybe get away from that and do something else, invest in something else in the church, people were saying, Well, that's fine. Well, this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Well, that's where we get into the guilt, right? Of like, you clearly were gifted for that, right? If your heart was in the right place, Chris, you'd do it. Honestly, you know what's great about what you just said, Chris, to me, is I have no idea what that is with you. Like, I don't know what it is that churches have pigeonholed you into, and I don't want to know. And I love that you, that. Hopefully we haven't done that to you on it. On it. Is, is it making scones? Because if it is making scones, I am going to make you continue to do that. Uh, if you've had Chris's scones, you would understand. All right.
thank you for sharing that. Yeah. What else? What else is compelling about investing in the church or not? Yeah, Mitch. You know, to me, I, I love the people of the community. Yeah. And I'm willing to invest. Um, I mean, I've gotten to know like me and others in the church, and I value that an awful lot. Yeah. Um, and that has come to the forefront with me, particularly with my oldest son, because he just had recently had a car breakdown and he texted me and said, there's no one I can call. I said, oh. that breaks my heart. I told him this. I said, that breaks my heart. Because I feel like if I ever had an issue like that, I could pick up the phone and there would be 20 people yeah. who would come immediately to help and assist me. Yeah. And really that's what I feel like the church's big value is, is that we're just a community of people who love each other and want to see each other succeed and do well and be well. Yeah. Yep. Anybody else? So if you are in the boat of at some level uh, where you feel like the church is not worth investing in, what do you, what would have to change in order for it to be able to be invested in? Um, and again, this is a, a question from a place of the church needs a reformation in a lot of ways. And I got a, I got a nail and I got 80 some things to say. So we can do our reformation. There you are, all you theology nerds or church history nerds. Um, <laughs> you know, the big thing for me, and I've been thinking about this for many years, and this is not new thinking for me, is that I want the church to quit acting like a whole mm. All right, so we invest in these big buildings that, to be honest with you, are anchored to congregations. We have these huge buildings, huge mortgages. Yeah. All right, and so you can invest in no one in the community because you're putting it all on utilities and insurance and mortgage payments. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So yep. quit acting like we're corporate America, you know, so oh, I'm not going to say this. This is something you may say. Okay, we all have to have the biggest and the best. All right, and so I, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. I'm just not. I'm tired of that. It's ruined churches across the United States. Yeah, it's I agree. It's ruined congregations. Yeah, I mean, right now, what's, what's super popular in, in neighborhoods? Micro everything, right? Micro breweries. Uh, yeah. Uh, what is it called? The What are the libraries that people put in their yards? Little free libraries, tiny. Yeah. What else? <laughs> I was not talking to you, Christy. It's not always about you, Christy. What else? Although you are tiny, so micro does work. What else? So what about micro church? Why can we not think about the value of having something that's a micro church? What happens? I mean, this is what it used to be, right? That you had neighborhood churches. You had, that's why churches were in every neighborhood was because that one neighborhood collected. And it makes you way more effective. Um, you can switch up what you have on tap all the time. Right. Um, but it really does leave us flexibility. 
And instead, what we do is we focus so much on growing and getting bigger and everything that we actually never get healthier, right? Because we think it's, how many do this in other areas of your life? You're like, well, when I get to this point, then I'll do this. And that point is a, is a forever moving uh, goal, right? Um, and so we just keep putting things off. And I think the church does this. And because of that, it makes it less interesting to invest in. Yeah. I know I, um, over the past years, have really paid attention to, um, I, I have many friends who are, mission, are missionaries, and their whole thing is not necessarily helping the people of where they're going. It's to get like, you know, like 100 conversions, right? Like on your telemark and stuff like that. So I found a lot of when my, my thinking started shifting is I want to know, you know, you know, the church like, oh, we invest in missions all the time, but what do your missions do? Right. Um, and so that for me was a very big thing. And I find that it's not, I can't like contribute to those things. Like I feel bad. Like a, a yeah. very good friend of mine is raising money now to go to Lebanon. I, you know, like all this stuff. And she's like, I'm just so close, and I just want to be like, I can't, you know, like, right. you know, it's almost it's, it's a definite thing. Um, yeah, and just like even um, my friend Pasha, she started this organization called Haiti Mama, and they actually work to reunite. Mm-hmm. Families in Haiti, instead of just taking like, them in an orphanage and adopting them out to like you know white Americans, um, so, like so, and they're finding all this corruption in these missions yeah. and all this like oh yeah, people, like all this stuff, like all this corruption. And so, I think for me, like my thinking has really changed. Like I want to know like what stuff, you know, what sort of missions are we funding here? Yeah, and and stuff like that. So that's always a huge issue for me, and like maybe we'll contribute to. Something. Yeah, absolutely. So, based on this conversation, uh, and you know, we we only touched on it. I mean, we barely scratched the surface of it. But, but what do you think is the role of giving in the church? And I want to use. Let me use the word investing. And I want to use it, and I know, Mitch, you critique corporate American church, and investment is a word that reflects that. But I think about, like, I invest in my son, and that's not a corporate statement, right? So think about it as investing, like we invest in, and I know, Tiana, when you and I talk, the way that you invest in these young women that you have the opportunity to engage with. So what is, what do you imagine is God's hope for investing in a community of faithful people? What does that mean? And then I think it goes back to our conversation a couple of weeks ago in the spirit of the room. It's creating safe havens. Yeah. It's creating safe havens for not only people who are here on a regular basis, but it's a safe haven for anybody. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think um, that we're still either the only one or only one of a couple uh, non-mainline churches that are inclusive in the entire city of Toledo. Um, And to have a safe space where people can come and express their faith 
and uh, and that is you're not tokenized as as Wade was talking about uh, that you're you're just you're at church and you attend church um, is is I think so important with safe and I think also to I look around our room and I think how blessed we are at how fucked up we all are. Right? Seriously. What's that? You're welcome. Thank you. We expect a little more investment. Um, so here's the thing for me, right? Is that I want the voices that we elevate in our space to come from the margins and to come from the places of like all the cliches we talked about, right? That are harmful. I'm, I'd rather have the people that those cliches are spoken to than the people that speak those cliches. And, you know, someone who struggles with depression, grew up in an abusive household um, and fights with, you know, imposter syndrome all the time. The fact that you sit here and honor me by still thinking that my voice has something to offer is life changing. Um, and I hope that you all feel that in your own space that in the things that you're struggling with and the things that you're battling with and the things that you maybe perceive aren't good enough, aren't enough for whatever reason, uh, whatever guilts and shames that you carry throughout your week, that when you arrive in this space, that there's a lot of other people that are willing to help carry that load, lighten that load, stand with you, be with you. Um, for me, that's what this space represents to me. Anybody else? Katie says, I can't tell you how many people I talk to who want to give or invest in their community that have been rejected so many times that they've given up. So mm. it's just saying yes to what people want to give or invest. Yeah. So, Katie, if I can kind of build on that, um, a, a very popular, uh, it's popular to talk about being a missional church. Right. Like, I don't know if you've all heard this, but it's really popular about like, you know, we should be a missional church or whatever. And I, I just think it's a repackaging of church that still ends up doing the same old things uh, or, as I like to say, spiritual masturbation. Um, but what I think we need to do is we need to be permissional, not missional. We need to give people permission to be where they are who they are. Uh, we need to give people permission to invest in the things that give them life, invest in the people that honor them. Uh, and we need to be permissional in that way. Yes, Silas. I wanted to say that there, there are a lot of pastors and the reason why we don't like going to so many churches is because we have so many, there are a lot of pastors who are obsessed with prestige, mm. um, just with bigger, you know, the bigger the crowd, the better he's doing, the yeah. more money he's bringing in, the better he's doing, you know, they just equate, this is just megachurch specifically, that they just equate success with 
much money they're able to take in a year. Right. And that, that's predominantly just a huge reason why it's such a turnoff for the construction. Because you know yeah. that they're like hyper focused, not just on the community, but like, you know, the prestige of being the pastor. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it's, you, you know that in, uh, uh, um, oh, I was going to try and be funny and do the Donald Trump quote of the book of the Bible that didn't exist, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah, 2 Corinthians. Oh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, you know, it says in 2 Corinthians when Paul writes that letter that, uh, you know, Greetings to the church that is the fastest growing city in a church in Corinth. Um, right. But it, I agree with you. I think that we get confused. And I, I'd say that there's been times that I've been confused, right? That I lay awake at night going, are we doing something wrong? Uh, what's happening? Why, why are we not X, Y, and Z? And then I remember that I know why we're not X, Y, and Z, because that's not who we are. Um, and I would much rather that if Paul were to write us a letter, that Paul's letter would be addressed to the church that's known for its love for one another than the two Corinthians church that's known for its fastest growing church in the city. Right? Um, so be good Bereans and make sure that that's not in there. Any other thoughts on this? So what would make the church worth investing in? I'd say the kids is what makes the church worth investing in. Um, and I think that because one of the most powerful things, Malcolm is such a good kid. And I mean that not just behavior wise, but just sincerity of heart. And I think that's thanks to a lot of the people sitting in this room and a lot of people that have been a part of our life in our smaller communities that we have, that Malcolm grew up around adults that loved him. He, he was much like June is, whenever you come to my house, June is my dog for anyone that doesn't know. When you come to my house, June just assumes you're there for her. Uh, Malcolm had that same thing growing up. He assumed when people came over to visit that they were there to hang out with him. And that is one of the things that makes it worth investing in. I hope that Katie and Saul uh, know me and know that I love them and that I care about them uh, and that I'm invested in them. That's one of the things I think is worth investing in the church. Anything else? Church is more being invested in for safety, okay, the safety of the adults. And that would too bad if this is harping on it because I feel like a lot of us are at this church because we've been hurt and unsafe in so many other churches. Yeah. And I think that's why I invest in this church, I invest my, my time, my talent, and my talents. Yeah. That other cliche, right? Time, treasure, talents. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's, and so let's let's touch on that again since it got brought up again. I think us being micro, 
is also what helps us to remain safe, right? If we had an influx of people, uh, I think that would disrupt some of the safety because you wouldn't be certain who these other people are and are you safe around them? Do they know what we believe about things? You've been in here before when someone's come in and participate in the conversation and clearly was not on the same page as us and that feel of uncomfortableness and everyone probably felt a little unsafe in that. Um, and I think that's also a value of being small is that we can really continue, create and maintain that level of safety, vulnerability and authenticity. Um, I don't want us to get to the point where uh, I have to overly censor myself, right? Like, I, I just, I want you guys, you guys know, I hope that when I teach, like you're getting Don, the same Don that played poker last night with his friends is the same Don that's speaking this morning. And lost, thank you, Wade. That was, that was clearly a bad investment. Speaking of investments, it was a bad investment on my part last night. Um, but I hope that that's what it is. And I, I want that for everyone that attends the church. I want, that the, I want you to be able to be the same Maddie that you are during the week that you are on Sunday. And so many places expect you to be something different on Sunday morning. When putting on your Sunday best is also about personality transfer or transformation, it's hard and it's not healthy. Do you have something else? Okay. Mitch. You know, kind of leading into that, I think one of the things I appreciate about Michael Dutz that has not been the case in other churches is that there's no expectations on them. Yeah. All right. So when I walk in the door a lot of times, there's expectations like you just voiced that, you know what, Mitch is perfect or Mitch doesn't have any flaws or, and then what ends up happening is that you end up putting shut up. Sorry, the camera was not on you. <laughs> no, and I think that that almost leads you into putting on airs. So yeah. you are not genuine. And frankly, in my case, I feel like that actually leads to some of my issues with depression. Absolutely. Because it's exhausting, as, as Wade was talking about, like having to carry the weight of being the only open or the only out queer person, like the weight that we carry when we have to show up on Sunday and, and put on airs, it's suffocating, right? That mask does not have good ventilation. It's hard to breathe in that space and it's dangerous. And then we take it home. How many of you, and I don't want you, to, now go ahead, you can raise your hand if you want have either experienced it as a child or as a parent where before church, there's a huge fight because why are you taking so long to get on your shoes and get on your coat? And then you show up at church and it's like, oh, everything in our house is wonderful, right? Like I grew up in a household that was the most explosive morning of the week was Sunday morning. And then I watched my dad get behind the pulpit and pretend like everything was perfect. And that is disappointing. Look, I'm not telling you, you can't be frustrated with your kids not getting ready on time. Of course you are. 
but you also don't have to show up here then and pretend like there isn't frustration in your life, that there isn't anxiety, that you're not stressed out, that you, you have it all together. Look, any given week, anyone that meets with me knows that either I cry or they cry almost every time during uh, hanging out with me. And that's because I'm barely held together too. Um, and honestly, the glue for me is discipling. The glue for me is being in community with you. The thing that holds me together is that I am surrounded by people that are willing to pick me up when I start to fall apart. And so for me, that's why I invest in this church. I invest in the church because I have experienced love, mercy, and justice, mostly uh, at its highest level, let's say, within the community of faithful. I've also experienced some of the most destructive things within that. Um, so I understand why people don't want to invest or people are shy about investing or reluctant to invest, which is why we don't pass an offering plate. We rarely will have a sign up for volunteering. Uh, there is, I can't even think about, like tonight, today, if we turn the camera, there is no one operating sound today, right? Wade is uh, his typical uh, infield utility player. We'll take up and play whatever position is needed. But we, we don't need people to, to be someplace and do something in for order for us to do church. However, when we do have people that want to do that, it's beautiful and it's good and it's rich. Um, so, all right, any thoughts uh, before we wrap up? Yeah. I was just gonna say, like, I really appreciate um, the fact that, like, I, church and faith have always been, like, a really uh, interesting point of contention within my marriage because, you know, like, both Cliff and I grew up very fundamentalist, conservative, all that stuff, um, and for him, it, he really just, you know, that rejected thing, you know, yeah. and so he struggled a lot with um, trust issues and bitterness and, and all that stuff. So it, there was always this, like, well, like, you can find a church, but I don't know that I want you to take the kids there because I don't want them growing up thinking I'm going to go over to hell, you know, like, so there's right. ways that I don't want that either. So um, a friend of mine was over for lunch, my coworkers over for lunch this week, and her and Cliff just talked, and I get to just be quiet. But they're talking and she's talking how they just uh, her and her husband yeah, her um just went to this big mega church and how she's too afraid to take her children there because she doesn't know who's watching them, she doesn't know um what they're being taught when she's not there, that they didn't enjoy the sermon, but and they're just talking for you know, and then here's you know, my wife's Nicole's skeptic husband is like, yeah, you don't want to take your kids, you don't ever know. And then he's like, I will say though, I know everyone where Sarah takes the kids and I talk them, I want them longer than she has. You know, and so there's this really wonder, it was a really like lovely feeling to know that like, you know, he doesn't have to like share the same belief system in order to really have trust and relationships here. And I, I really appreciate about this church because I feel like I've been in churches, well, you know, like, oh, if a husband, you know, the other spouse or partner isn't there, then, you know, they can't really invest in your family, right? right. Because your family is not wholly invested in that. So, like, we've never experienced that, and I, I, I definitely am 
Well, that's one of the biggest compliments that, that I think we can receive as a community. So uh, thank you for saying that. I, and now I have an overwhelming desire to give your kids Bible tracts to take home with them today. <laughs> All right. Well, does anyone else have anything? Thank you so much, sir, for sharing that. Um, all right. So let me let me close with this about tithing. And it's it's hard to talk about it in a manner that I feel completely confident that I won't convey any kind of guilt or shame. Shame. <laughs> shame. Shame. Um, I hope that you find this community worthy of investing in. I hope that you find the time that we get together to uh, on Sunday mornings to teach, because I know for a lot of folks that are online and out of town, that that's really the primary time in which they're with us. And I know that that can feel detached. Um, and I'm sorry for that. I wish we could do something. I am working on the technology that there, there can be a 3D hologram of me in your living room. Um, but I hope that this space becomes something uh, and this group of people becomes something that you want to invest in beyond uh, attending. And I'm not putting anything on what that other stuff might be. Um, I'm grateful for the fact I, I had a conversation with someone and they're going out of town and they cannot within their own community find people to fill the pulpit for them. And to me, I'm like every single person in our community, I would hand this pulpit over to that. The voice in the front of the room uh, is, is not the authority from God, but is one expression of God's imagination. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful that we're in a space where uh, we have so many people that are so brilliant and have so much insight to so many different things about the world, so many convictions about social justice, uh, racial equality, uh, inclusion. All of that is a part of this space. And the fact that, uh, like, you don't need me. And that's an indication of how much you've already invested, right? Uh, when you need the pastor, I would say that's a demonstration of a lack of investment in a church. It might be signing checks, but it's a lack of investment. And in the next three weeks, I'm not speaking and you're probably going to experience something that is wonderful and beautiful because it's coming from different voices in our space. And I couldn't be more delighted about that. The only disappointment is I'm going to miss two out of the three of those. Um, I don't even know how to respond to that. Lee. Um, so, uh, but I want to thank you for all that you've already invested. Um, I want to thank you for the combination of Every Sunday, you tithe because you participate in the discussion of God. 
every Sunday you tithe because you consider God and you consider our community. As far as I'm concerned, you're all relieved of any obligation of tithing any more than what you already are. If you want to invest differently, we would love that. But you are relieved of any stress about tithing. Except for the scones. Except for the scones. Those are mandatory. And David, as you sharpen your roasting skills, coffee will be mandatory as well. Yes, the dust brand of coffee. I don't know. That, that doesn't sound good. Purgatory. All right, friends, let me pray over you, and then we'll take some prayer requests. All right, let, let me uh, pray over you. Lord, you are good, and we are grateful. We are thankful, Lord, that uh, you accept our offerings, that you uh are you receive them with joy and gratitude and Lord that you do not shake your head in disappointment of what we bring to the table but delight in our creativity our beauty and the way that we express our faithfulness amongst each other Lord I pray that you help us to absolve our guilt and shame when it comes to our checkbook that you help absolve our guilt and shame when it comes to participating but Lord instead you remind us that how much more uh, we can be as we gather closer and tighter together as friends, as family, as re in relationships and in intimacy with you. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We give you all the glory. It is in your most precious, beautiful, holy name I pray. Amen.